This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Welcome to a recap of our latest Third Thursday webinar. Hear directly from expert panelists as they discuss Parkinson's research and answer your questions about living with the disease. Join us live next time by registering for an upcoming webinar at michaeljfox.org. and thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie Paddock, Vice President of Community Outreach and Events at the Michael J. Fox Foundation and your moderator for today's webinar. Today we'll discuss loneliness, apathy, and isolation that can happen in Parkinson's disease. We'll cover ways to manage these issues through community connections and share information on the Parkinson's Buddy Network. We've got a lot to discuss, so let's get started. Let me introduce our panelists. Lynn Hagerbrand, is an MJFF patient council member who was diagnosed with PD in 2010. She heads a support group called Shakers Anonymous and an exercise and wellness program called Parkinson's Body and Mind Program. Both are in Connecticut. Hi, Lynn, it's great to see you. How are you? It's nice to be here. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Next, we have Ned Newhouse joining us from Peoria, Illinois, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2013. He's a rock steady boxing coach and an active member of our Team Fox community and the Parkinson's Buddy Network. Hi, Ned. Good morning, great to see you. Good to see you. We also have Dr. Indu Subramanian, a movement disorder specialist, clinical professor at UCLA Department of Neurology and director of the Department of Veterans Affairs, Southwest Parkinson's Disease Research, Education and Clinical Center. She has studied loneliness and isolation in Parkinson's disease. Welcome, Indu. Hi, nice to see everyone. And last but not least, and with an equally long title, we have Lance Wilson, a neuroscience medical social worker at the Jefferson Health Comprehensive Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Center at the Vicki and Jack Farber Institute of Neuroscience, a part of the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. He helps people with Parkinson's and their care partners navigate the disease and resources available. Welcome, Lance. Hi, everybody. Thank you guys for having me. A huge thank you for all of you for joining us today. So let's dive right in. Indu, I'm going to start with you. We hear often from people with PD and their loved ones that a lack of motivation can be really frustrating. Told to exercise, reach out, take action, get involved. But apathy is part of the disease. What can you tell us about that part of Parkinson's? Yeah, so apathy is very common in Parkinson's. I think the numbers are about 40% of our patients uh, complain or you know, we recognize 40% of our patients have apathy, but I think it's a lot more. It's part and parcel of the disease. It's something that's terribly disabling, and I think we really have no real pill treatments or any you know, sort of other therapies um, outside of sometimes behavioral modifications. So it can be very frustrating. And I know for family members as well, it feels like sometimes uh, caregivers are trying to motivate their loved ones to get going and they feel like they're nagging them and it can really um, cause distress within the family dynamic too. So um, it is important that people recognize that it is part of the disease. Mm-hmm. And along with apathy, there are different types of isolation. 
Lance, can you talk to us about those and what advice you give patients and their care partners? Sure. So I think one of the, and for in regards to this talk, I think the most important ones to point out are um, emotional and social isolation, which has been, of course, impacted by uh, our pandemic. Um, so I think the biggest things to pay attention to and the advice I give to patients are kind of pushing those limits, uh, kind of assessing those microsystem type relationships you have with, you know, friends, family members. And I think that especially within the um, quarantine, that people have had to push through some of those um push through some of those boundaries or push through some of those uh, comfortable uh, boxes that they might be in to make sure that they uh, continue and maintain their healthy relationships. And we know that these factors don't just affect the social and emotional well-being. Isolation can worsen others' Parkinson's symptoms. And Indu, why is that? So in our study, we were looking for modifiable risk factors of how um, you know different things that you can do in your life affect uh, the disease. And we found we went into it looking to see that exercise was beneficial, and we did find that. But what we found is that the negative effects of being lonely and isolated were as bad for people with Parkinson's and their symptoms and their quality of life as the beneficial effects of exercising seven days a week, 30 minutes a day was good for you. So it really is a profoundly important thing that is modifiable. And hopefully we can talk a little bit about strategies that can help. Um, and one of the things that ends up happening is that people get isolated, they get withdrawn, they don't feel so well, their motor symptoms get worse, their non-motor symptoms get worse, they get more stressed out. It leads to this cascade then of getting more isolated and more withdrawn. And so we really have to figure out ways to break that cycle. Yeah, and we will definitely dive into some of those strategies. Um, I'd love to hear from Lynn and Ned. We know that it's been a challenging year in so many different ways. Lynn, for you, how has the pandemic and social distancing impacted both you and your community? Well, what I did is I, you know, it, it had a huge impact on the community. I think, you know, people with Parkinson's tend to a lot of times isolate because they, they're embarrassed of their symptoms and they, they feel uncomfortable being in social situations. So this only made it magnify the whole situation. So what I did is I focused on my PD community and instead of having meetings live once a month, we started Zoom meetings every week. So we reached out to the community um, more on a frequent basis. And that made, I think that helped to make a big difference and, and um, helped people with uh, overcome isolation. And we encourage. We also started Zoom exercise classes, and so we kind of encourage one another through the pandemic over the last year. Did you see a, a great response from your community in joining those? Yes, we, a significant response. You know, it, it brought us closer together, and you know, the Zoom meetings. You know, we moving forward, we're probably going to do a hybrid of um, live and Zoom because we saw the benefits of the Zoom meetings. We had researchers from Stanford University talked to us about stem cell. We had nutritionists talking about Parkinson's nutrition. And it was just, and then plus we had support uh, from one another and networking. And it just, it, it was a significant, it was a lifeline for me during the yeah. pandemic. That's great. And, and Ned, how, um, how did the pandemic um, impact you and, and make changes for you? Well, as a Rock City coach, it took away our outlet. 
Um, you know, we had, we're used to getting together multiple times a week with the, the same people. We built a social network there and all of a sudden the network was gone. And uh, what we did is pretty quick into the pandemic, we started doing Zoom classes and I was a bit apprehensive because this wouldn't be the prototypical group of people you would want to be putting in front of a Zoom uh, uh, camera. But we've got people in the mid 80s that are uh, coming to class on a regular basis. They're nailing the technology. We opened up classes a half an hour before time so they could socialize with their friends. Uh, it was almost like we didn't miss a beat. And, and it was it was really great to see. Uh, and, and now that we're back in the gym, um, it's almost like we didn't really ever leave. Mm -hmm. That's great. And, you know, it's we all know that it can be hard to make connections as adults, let alone as part of the Parkinson's community and, and really where to start. Um, Lance, I'd love to, you know, start kind of talking about some of those strategies and how can a social worker help people and families with Parkinson's to build connections and manage relationships? Uh, so to help build connections and kind of maintain those uh, relationships. Uh, so a social worker and the first side of things would help identify if there are any issues that would stop someone or block someone from maintaining or making those types of connections. Uh, so if we can identify a cause that might lead, you know, lead back to uh, that apathy that we were speaking about earlier, um, then we can try and build some uh, tools or strategies to help interrupt that cycle. Um, like Dr. Indu had mentioned earlier, interrupting the cycle is usually the first thing we need to do if there's something uh, stopping someone from making those connections. Uh, but then um, typically it's just usually giving insight to what a healthy dynamic or a healthy relationship looks like. And some of those things are, of course, this expands outside of Parkinson's specifically, things like being all, um, authentic in your approach, uh, being empathetic, things like that. And also uh, the other thing that social workers can do is kind of tie people to existing platforms that already exist. So um, things like Rocksteady Boxing or other community center programmings or different support groups. Um, I have a lot of patients that, you know, find their support group based off of, you know, trial and error. You might not like that support group, but there's another one over here I might be able to refer you to and you might make a connection with one of the community members that way um, that exists outside of the actual disease state. Yeah. And we'll talk about the Parkinson's study network a little bit later, but um, I think that will be another resource that you could provide. Um, have you seen, or did you see in this last year an influx in people, patients, care partners needing your services and needing to talk to social workers? Yes, I think that typically when people hear a social worker, they have a, a preconceived notion of what it is that we do or what we can assist with. I have seen a huge influx of people who need mental health resources, as well as um, being able to, you know, kind of talk through some of the things and the challenges that have been kind of exacerbated by uh, the isolation of COVID-19, as well as, you know, not being able to connect to individuals or go and do the things that they would typically do. So kind of uh, a lot of the uh, kind of work I've been doing has been uh, primarily around coping 
strategies and getting people connected or thinking about connecting with individuals in another way. That's great. Um, Ned, how do you go about building community connections and how has the pandemic changed this? Um, well, very early on, um, I was anxious, maybe borderline depressed, and, and I met with a professional and she helped me realize that Parkinson's didn't have to define me. And that got me thinking that, you know, Parkinson's was out there trying to take away the things that I felt made me who I was. And I quickly began to realize that you need to do the things you love to do because Parkinson's will take it away if you let it. Um, even though I've made PD advocacy a big part of my life, I don't dwell on having PD. And what I found is, you know, I put myself out there and whether it's social media, it's in local media, you know, it's, it's whatever I'm out there and I'm telling people what I think and what I've experienced. And I'm finding that people react very well to that. And it's allowed me to build connections that I would have never had in, in you know, without having had PD as, as weird as that sounds. But it's um, it's to the point that I'm actually a much more outgoing person now than I was before. I was very private. And, you know, people that didn't know me before I was knew I was living with PD would never believe that because I, I'm constantly out there. I'm, I'm, I'm telling very personal things to to the world and, and seeing how that reacts. And uh, I would never believed that I would have made this change. Wow. And I think, you know, both you and Lance just hit upon something about mental health. And I think this pandemic has really opened up the conversation about mental health and for, for everyone and knowing that we all need different resources. We all need, um, different things through this time of isolation, whether we're living with Parkinson's or not. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, Ned, you sought help and 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 got the help that you needed and that the conversation is becoming more natural and, and destigmatized. Yeah, and you know, I talk a lot about PD, obviously, but I do a lot of things that have nothing to do with PD. You know, I, I get together mm -hmm. with a friend from high school once a week. We restore cars together. You know, I'm I'm out there, I, I still play guitar. I, I do the things that make me happy because if I don't, I'm afraid PD will take over. Mm -hmm. You don't let it define you, which is absolutely. Yeah. And Lynn, I'd love to hear about your support group shakers anonymous that you started. Um, how did it get off the ground and how has it evolved through Michael J. Fox? <laughs> Michael J. Fox is, you know, has been incredibly valuable for me personally and for so many people. Um, it was an ambassador who came to my house that turned my life around. I was not, open about having Parkinson's for two years. And the ambassador from Michael J. Fox visited me, turned my world around. And I, I'm very grateful to this individ, individual and Michael J. Fox for that. But it was through that that I, I spoke, I had the honor to speak at Partners in Parkinson's in New York City. And I, through that event, I met a gentleman and his wife that I connected with, and we co-founded Shakers Anonymous, and that was over seven and a half years ago. We we started by meeting in, in a library in, in Connecticut, and we had to get we almost got kicked out because we were too noisy and we we stayed too long. We were going to leave, so we 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 um, eventually moved to the y, a local YMCA, and it's been fabulous. We have over three hundred and seventy five members. 
Um, and it's just incredible. It's, it's a peer led support group and it's just, it's, it's unbelievably fabulous. And it's just it, the connections that we're making is tremendous. It's just, it's wonderful. That's incredible. And, and you point out that you met a gentleman at a, a Partners in Parkinson's event, which was an educational series that the foundation hosted a couple of years ago. So even educational events can be ways of, of making connections with others. Um, Indu, one more question on this topic. What advice would you give patients who are looking to find support groups or form other types of connections? So one of the things that I think, just take a step back, um, that's important to help people to understand um, about loneliness is that, you know, when you're um, looking at relationships uh, in your life, it, there are various spheres that you have to kind of um, think about. So there's a sort of intimate sphere where you might have a spouse that's, um, you know, with you at home, you're sheltering in place, you interact all day, every day. I, as your doctor, may be calling you on Zoom and having a patient visit. And that's one aspect of your social connection. But there's also these other connections that, that are kind of important in our lives that I think we also sometimes don't realize. So one is a sort of friend circle. So there's outside of just that partner in your home, you know, a circle of friends that you have a relationship with that maybe outside the home, maybe a friend that you can go for a walk with, maybe a friend, um, you know, a, a few friends that you meet up with um, that are, you know, from your high school or whatever that are in your neighborhood. And that's another sort of sphere. And then there's a sort of community sphere of um, connection that I think is um, kind of what people have been talking a little bit about here um, that may connect you to a bigger purpose. And it might not be around just the Parkinson's disease. You know, so for some patients, it may be Parkinson's disease that that is their sort of um, advocacy area or, or brings them meaning and purpose. But outside of that sphere, um, sometimes it can be things like, you know, if you're uh, you know, you mentioned guitar playing or car restoration um, for my veterans. It's being a veteran. So really think about those things that bring you meaning and think about the people maybe in your, your community or society that sort of can, can kind of speak to that and really bring that side out of you. And so I think it's important to realize that you can still be lonely um, just with that intimate sphere being met. And that a couple can actually be lonely together. And so I think when we're thinking about these other sorts of relationships and what brings us meaning and what brings us connection, think a little bit about, you know, do I have people in these other spheres and how can I kind of foster those relationships? And really with apathy, I think it's about sort of getting outside that box, kind of pushing that comfort zone. You may not innately wake up in the morning and feel up to, you know, calling a friend, um, but really, you know, put it on your calendar, schedule these things every day, every week. I think, you know, so far we've heard about people who met once a month, but then, you know, felt the need to meet weekly and um, people look forward to that. You can kind of, you know, make that a regular part of your schedule. And that way you'll be more inclined to do these things. So I think, you know, thinking about, you know, meaningful connections with people that may not just be in your home, may not just be in your regular day-to-day -day sort of things um, that you would normally have interacted with, thinking about people maybe on your Christmas card list, your neighbors, maybe high school friends that, that have been mentioned, you know, think about those sorts of things. And I think you can probably find a lot of people that bring you joy um, uh, that you may not have ordinarily interacted with. Yeah, I think that is such a great point to make. And I know um, for myself personally, I, with both this job and the work that I do, and also just for fun, I travel quite a bit and I get these opportunities to see friends and, um, and people through the foundation at different times of the year. And that all stopped last year. And those moments to interact kind of stopped. But 
I can still text them. I can still pick up the phone. And I started making more of a, um, a habit of, of doing that, you know, trying to reach out to somebody different once a week. And even just the idea of sending a text message brought me some joy. And um, it was always, it's always great to hear from someone out of the blue as well. So um, I like that, that point that you distinguish about the different spheres of connections that we can make. I also think that you've queued up a, a video that we want to share very perfectly about different people to lean on in our lives. A few years ago, we put together a video to talk about the importance connect of connections and how people in our community have found different friends to lean on. Ned actually participated in this video, and we're going to share a short clip now from that piece. If you're interested, the 10-minute full video is linked in the resource list. People who are newly diagnosed often approach us at the Michael J. Fox Foundation for advice on their symptoms or where they should go next. In Parkinson's, it's really important to build connections because this helps you build your support system and take control of your disease. Like a lot of people that, that get the diagnosis, uh, the first thing you want to do is just run and hide. Curl up in a ball and, and don't come out of your room. Didi and I weren't expecting that at all. It was uh, a real uh, unknown for us, and it was just overwhelming. I remember hugging each other in the parking lot, you know, shed a few tears, and then I went back to work because it was the only thing I knew what to do. Shortly after I was diagnosed, we met Claudia. Lo and behold, we lived about a half mile away from each other, had no idea who each other were or the fact that, you know, we were both about the same age and both had PD. And we went out for coffee. I talked about, about the foundation. I told him what I do, and I told him all the things that, that are out there. Go to the website. You're going to find everything. If you need anything, just give me a call. I'm there. Claudia and I really clicked well together. She's had Parkinson's a little longer than I have, so she became a mentor to me. She encouraged us to go to a Fox Foundation event that was held in November of 2014. I met two people that day uh, that really changed my life. I met Ned Newhouse through the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Ned really was inspired by the therapeutic benefits of boxing to combat Parkinson's disease. He wanted to start his own program in Peoria. Since then, he's built this program up Meeting Eric that day was one of those points in life I can look back to and say that was a day where my life changed. Funny thing was, that wasn't the only thing that changed on that day. I didn't actually meet Jimmy and, and Cheryl that day, but I saw them speak. I met Ned in 2016 at a research seminar with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Ned came up to me and he told me a story about how he had heard myself and uh, my wife speak and how it helped him along in his journey. And then a year later, he signed up to participate in the Shake It Off 5K, which is our fundraiser for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Thanks again to Ned for being a part of our very special video. Before we jump back into our conversation, we'd like to take a short break to call out the foundation's landmark study, PPMI, that is now recruiting. The Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, also known as PPMI, is the study that could change everything about how Parkinson's is diagnosed, managed, and treated. Right now, the study needs parents, brothers, sisters, and children of people with Parkinson's. Get involved today by taking a short survey. Just click Get Started in the Take Action box on your screen. The study is also recruiting 
people diagnosed with Parkinson's in the last two years who are not yet on PD medications. Learn more about PPMI by clicking the link in the resource list and help spread the word that PPMI is recruiting. The link to share is michaeljfox.org slash PPMI. That's michaeljfox.org slash PPMI. Now, while you may not think of research participation as a way to really build connections, PPMI has built a community since it launched in 2010 with annual events to connect both study leadership and participants. And that's just one avenue for making connections in your community. You may find great connections in your neighborhood or a local support group, even through a hobby like car restoration, like Ned mentioned, or in your gym. There's also ways to connect through the Fox Foundation. Our public policy team hosts an annual policy forum and is currently building out the Parkinson's Policy Network. Any interest, anyone interested in getting involved in grassroots advocacy can learn more by visiting michaeljfox.org advocacy. Let's turn it back to our panel. Lance, where else would you suggest that people try to connect with others? I think there's a, a great list um, up on the screen, but any other suggestions that you could provide? So I think that it's a, you have to be a little creative. So I think that these are great places to start. Um, but I think that, you know, even something as simple, I mean, not that we're doing this as uh, openly as we were before, even those simple conversations that you have with your neighbors or going to the grocery store um, can just open up. I think we underestimate the ability of just having a connection with someone, even if it is kind of those one and one types of interactions. Um, so I would just say be open to those other places. So you have the gyms, you have the support groups, you have the exercise groups, you have research studies. Um, and I think even uh, physicians, I know that my physicians here at Jefferson will, you know, if they know that two of their patients might really do great kind of building a rapport with each other, then they'll get consents from the patients and have them connect that way. Um, so it really is kind of thinking about those things that are outside of the typical, um, hey, you go here and you meet that person there. Sometimes it's about saying, hey, I think, you know, you have some really similar interests to someone else that we, we might see. So I'm going to see if that's something that would be open to, you know, having more of a conversation or dialogue about. Definitely. And Lynn, outside of Shakers Anonymous, have you found community in other ways? Outside Shakers Anonymous, yes. You know, I, I actually, through the Zoom meetings um, that we have every week, have connected with, um, interestingly enough, women with PD from other states in the country. And we, for, we formed like a, a, like a, a group together. That, uh, there's like six or seven of us, and we, we're all around the same age. And that has been very special. And that that's a silver lining of the pandemic that has been very positive for me. Um, so um, that that's occurred and that's been very special. And then also like, like you were saying, Steph, is that I'm trying to reach out to some of my high school friends and it's made me really think about my connections with people outside PD. And, you know, I, like Ned, I, I there's more to me than Parkinson's. And I tried to work on that also because that, that makes, you know, that's, there's, there's, you know, other things I'm interested in besides, um, you know, PD. And, and I tried to develop that myself. 
So with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, we're all kind of feeling, I'm sure, the fatigue of Zoom meetings and, and feeling Zoomed out at this point. But it has been this opportunity to for people to log on from wherever they are, from home. Um, like you mentioned, you know, people are joining your your Zoom classes um, because they don't have to actually leave the leave the house or even feel embarrassed about going out in public. So there are small silver linings to this, I'm sure. But um, Indu, I'm curious for people that are feeling zoomed out or you know not wanting to engage anymore in this matter. Do you have any suggestions or, or strategies for folks? You know, I think it's been a long year and a half for all of us, and it's been, um, you know, a time of grief for some of us. We haven't had, you know, a chance to see each other. We're grieving occasions that have been missed. If, um, you know, you've lost a loved one or somebody that mean, means something to you, you know, it's, it's, it is a long time. And we, 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 when, when bad things happen, you know, we're used to connecting through, um, social situations, hugging each other, holding each other's hands. I know as a physician, it's been tremendously difficult for me not to, you know, give that um, sort of physical connection to people. But I think in small ways now, as we're sort of in some parts of the world emerging, um, you know, from the pandemic, hopefully people are getting vaccinated if they feel comfortable to do that. Um, I really urge people to get out into nature. I think that that can be very therapeutic. Um, and sometimes that connection to the environment, to the world, um, in your garden, if it's uh, you know available to you, or, or if you can go for a walk in a park or in the forest and just be around nature. I've used the beach a lot, you know, just to sort of connect me with other sorts of elements. And so I think, you know, connection doesn't necessarily just have to be with, um, you know, a huge group of friends at a party. It could be these small ways to connect, um, you know, in other ways maybe grab a friend, go down to some, some sort of, um, you know, uh, nature element that, you know, can restore you a little bit together, go for a walk, maybe in your neighborhood, say hello to, um, you know, your neighbor, or, um, you know, if you go to, uh, the store, even in your daily life activities, you can incorporate, um, as, as other folks were saying, you know, these small, um, social interactions can actually add up to something quite meaningful. And so it doesn't have to be, you know, two hours, um, you know, on a zoom meeting, actually this sort of, um, little smiles, little uh, sort of um, hand waves uh, can actually be very, very therapeutic. And I think getting out in nature, um, you know, as as the summer is kind of approaching, people have kind of started to thaw out from the winter in many parts of the world. Hopefully, um, you know, we'll be able to connect a little bit more outdoors, I think would be a really good way to get over that Zoom fatigue. Yeah, I found that um, even some of my colleagues and I, instead of taking another, you know, Zoom meeting where we're all sitting and, and, and looking at each other on a screen, we'll make it a phone call and people will be walking outside while they're while they're talking and, and listening. And so mixing it up and finding different ways to, to interact. And I, I love now that the weather is getting nicer and we can be we can all be outside a little bit more. A landmark study that could change the way Parkinson's disease is diagnosed, managed and treated is recruiting participants now. PPMI, or the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, needs people with and without Parkinson's, especially people aged 16 up who have close relatives living with the disease. Take a short survey today at michaeljfox.org PPMI to see if you're eligible. That's michaeljfox.org PPMI. Another way to build connections that I want to hop into is through the foundation's grassroots fundraising program called Team Fox. 
Believe it or not, that's how I actually got involved with the foundation over 12 years ago in support of my dad, who was living with Parkinson's. I signed up to fundraise for the New York City Triathlon and then became a member of the New York City Young Professionals group that was just getting off of the ground. There are now eight different YP groups across the country that actively connect, meet, and fundraise together. And similar to all Team Fox fundraising, 100% of the proceeds that come in through events that are held go directly to the foundation's programs to speed a cure for Parkinson's disease. And Ned, I absolutely love this photo of you um, showing your guns. How did you first get involved with Team Fox back before meeting Jimmy Choi? <laughs> well, actually in 2016, uh, which was right before I met Jimmy, um, we did the inaugural uh, Star Wars 5K at Disney. Our older daughter works at Disney and she works some of the run Disney events and she really wanted to participate in one. And so uh, my wife and, and daughter and I ran that 5K. And quite honestly, I was a little reluctant to ask people for donations. So we just put a couple of notices out on Facebook and the response was overwhelming. Um, and we raised $3,000 with, quote, not even really trying. And it really opened my eyes to this. And then, in, as Jimmy mentioned, in 2018, um, it was my fifth anniversary of being diagnosed. So I said, it's five years. I'm going to run a 5K and I'm going to raise $5,000. And the $5,000 came pretty quickly. And Jimmy called me up and said, you need to double it. And with that motive, with that little bit of spurring, which is very, if anybody knows Jimmy knows he does that, um, I did, we raised about $12,000 that year and, and I ran it a couple more times. And, uh, then I started hosting my own events and, and the one we did last year, I, I'm very proud of how it just expanded on itself. Uh, a friend and I, a friend of mine and I decided we were going to row a million meters on the rowing machine to raise uh, awareness and raise, uh, raise money for research. And we put it out there on January 1, and before the end of January, 20 people from all over the place joined up with us. And, uh, you know, we wanted to have an in-person rowing day, but we couldn't do that with the pandemic, so we're going to do that in 2021. And, you know, the Road to Slow Parkinson's has really introduced me to some amazing people. Um, in fact, one of our members is at the uh, U.S. Olympic training camp right now trying to qualify for the Paralympic team, and he's got a really good shot. And, and it's just so amazing, you know, the people you meet. Uh, you know, he lives in Portland. I'd have never met him otherwise. And I've got a little insight into what it's like to be training for an Olympic event now. Uh, it, it's just so cool. The, the people we met, met through Team Fox are just amazing. Wow. That's incredible. And I, I remember when I... Um, first met you actually at uh, Jimmy Choi's event. And so, um, yes, the, the Team Fox community definitely brings people together. I'm curious, you said that you were reluctant to go out to people with, with your fundraising efforts. Um, you know, what kind of got you past that and, and what kind of advice would you give to people? Well, I guess what finally got me past it was this, what I referred to before is I'm now the guy that does stuff he's not comfortable with. And, you know, I take more chances and I just decided it was worth it because we wanted to do something to give back to the community. I think, you know, Lynn mentioned how much Michael has done for her, you know, reading his books early on really period. And, and I wanted to do what I could to give back. And that got me over that hump. And, you know, I think the, the advice I give people is, 
you're not going to hurt yourself by asking people for help or for donations. Um, the worst thing that can happen is everybody ignores you, and that's probably not going to happen. You've got people that care about you more than you realize, and this is a way for people to be part of your journey. And it's been very rewarding for me. It's amazing. I think I need a new mantra, which is to be more like Ned, which is to like get out of my <laughs> comfort zone and try new things. And so forget about what is it? Be like Mike. It's it's be like Ned. <laughs> I'll take it. And, <laughs> um Lynn, I'm curious, have you participated in any Team Fox events and what has your experience been like? So, you know, I have participated in Team Fox events, you know, mostly I was in a 5K and, you know, at Battery Park in New York City and it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. It was so much energy. It was just wonderful. And, and I thought I finished the race and I was only halfway through. <laughs> you know, I think I almost came in dead last, but it was amazing. Through Shakers Anonymous, so we have, you know, we have always had speakers come in, um, representatives from Michael J. Fox. And we we basically all, you know, send weekly emails about what's going on in Michael J. Fox. And through Jakers Anonymous, through our group, we have had teams that have come about. Chris Tracy, Chuck Hendricks, mm -hmm. Mount Kilimanjaro. He was the only person with PD with his um, wife, Dawn. So we basically are... Uh, you know, we basically promote Michael J. Fox in, in the clinical studies, the clinical Fox trials. So there we are, we are advocates of Michael J. Fox in a big way. Amazing. And I think you, um, you touch upon something that like team Fox is, it's a lot of things. So people can host events, people can show up to other people's events. Um, you know, it can be as much as hosting a thousand person bike ride or a lemonade stand with your kids, or your grandkids in, in your driveway. So Team Fox is a lot of different things and there's different ways to get involved. And there's more that you can all find out on our website as well. I'm wondering, um, you know, there's obviously, I can tell just by hearing you, Ned and, and Lynn, like there's a lot of joy and happiness that comes out of these connections. But Indu, how something, how something like this improves someone's quality of life overall? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of um, what we've done as Parkinson's docs is find a pill to help with motor symptoms historically and, you know, refined surgeries. Um, I've really spent a lot of time in the pandemic trying to explore a little bit of the secret sauce of what makes people, you know, do well. Um, like what is the secret that really makes people thrive that, that, you know, you can meet two patients on the same day with Parkinson's that are exactly the same. And one, because of positive attitude with, uh, you know, focus with great uh, purpose, with great meaning can really do well. And others with, um, you know, maybe not some of those things may not thrive as much and really look very different five years later. So I, I really have been trying to figure out sort of what, what brings people that passion meaning purpose and trying to refine that a little bit. And I think, um, you know, what we've realized in the pandemic is that, you know, these sorts of social connections that we have all been missing, it's not just our patients, it's really all of us, even as healthcare providers, I don't um, get to see my team nearly as much. I don't get to, you know, um, get advice and hugs and, you know, connect um, nearly as much with the rest of the people that I've grown to love. You mentioned the meetings that you go to that bring you joy. I've missed that, you know, and, and the camaraderie that we, we really have in, in all of the, the sort of fabulous travel and connections and collaborations. Um, so I think that, you know, we 
we kind of purposing that and trying to figure out how to bring those sorts of things to you yourself on a daily basis is really important. And I think that we can't also forget about, you know, the, the cultural context that this is around um, for each and every one of us. So I know I have friends right now that are really interested in social justice and really learning about, you know, their heritage and figuring out, you know, forefathers, you know, brought to this country and, and how to really, you know, change that. Other people, you know, it's about sort of seeing their grandchildren for the first time and playing with them and re sort of establishing those connections. And, and so for each of us, it's going to be really different. And I think that we have to kind of just take a moment and forget about necessarily, you know, tremor rating scales and, you know, how fast you can walk from point A to point B and say, you know, what is it in my life that really brings me a good quality of life? What is it that makes me wake up in the morning and brings me joy and meaning? And try to focus honestly on those sorts of things and figure out in your own world, who are those people that support that, that help, you know, be your cheerleaders, are your tribe, are the people that really you reach out to forge meaningful relationships with those people. And I think, you know, it may be somebody that you do need to ask for help from, and that's okay. I mean, I think, you know, many of us have sort of our, our mantra historically has been like, you know, be independent, be, be your, your own person. And, you know, we don't need each other. And I think, I have really sort of spent some time really rethinking that and understanding a little bit more about how we are all completely connected on this planet to each other, right? A virus that starts across the, the world is affecting my family and how you know, I wear a mask that's going to help you protect yourself from, you know, getting this. And so I think that sort of feeling of social connection, the sort of altruism of, of doing things for each other is so meaningful. I think and we really have to kind of, I think, um, you know, pause and, and try to reinsert that in our lives. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we're all eager to get back to those, you know, hugs and, and things that we've been missing so much. But, you know, we've also been able to um, really hone in on some of these connections that we have made online. And during this period of time, we at the Fox Foundation really saw a need for a tool to be able to connect the community virtually. So the Parkinson's Buddy Network is a new online network designed to connect members of the Parkinson's community virtually. Think of it kind of as like LinkedIn meets Facebook. <laughs> the pandemic really solidified the need for this tool and as a way to provide um, a way to combat isolation and loneliness in our community. Um, now that we have gotten through a few months of testing, we are really excited to open this platform to everyone. And you can find a link to join in the resource list. We encourage people living with Parkinson's as well as their loved ones and care partners to join and find others that are going through similar experiences. During the sign-up, users will answer onboarding questions that pertain to their experience and what they hope to learn and who they hope to meet. Then users can search for others with similarities, send private messages, join groups based on different topics, and engage in open form dialogue. There's also a way to find others that can help you kind of forge that mentor relationship if you're looking, like you said, Indu, that you need to reach out and ask for help. Um, Ned, I know that you have been a part of the network since day one. What has your experience been like with the Parkinson's Buddy Network? Well, I think you explained it very well. Um, I'm member, I don't know how many Facebook groups uh, related to Parkinson's, you know, young onset groups, exercise groups, you name it. I, I'm, I'm chairing some of them. I'm participating in some of them. But the real 
weakness with Facebook is it doesn't have the the profiling that you go through, uh, you know, the onboarding questions that that you can on the the buddy network. And you know right away if somebody wants to have something more than a one-line interaction on a Facebook group, they say, you know, hey, I'm interested in meeting people, I'm interested in meeting other young onset, you know, whatever it may be. And you know, I in the first week it was out there, I, I met a couple people and it was that quick. And, and, you know, we, we don't interact every day, but we touch base from time to time. And we talk about things that are going on in our lives, things maybe going on with Parkinson's, maybe things not related to Parkinson's. And it, it really is a great way to meet people from literally anywhere. Um, you know, there's great subjects out there. I, I get uh, email notifications of, Hey, there's something in the, the young onset group, or there's something in the, uh, exercise group and, and it spurs me to go back out and, and look and see what's out there, you know, learn from what others have to say, put my two cents in and, and kind of, uh, you know, watch the interaction, you know, as this mm -hmm. thing grows, I'm excited about what it has the potential to become, you know, it's already great, but it has potential to really be a game changer for the, the Parkinson community. Yeah, and like you mentioned, people can join. You've met people from all over the place. We currently have um, individuals from 49 states. We're waiting for our, our first user from North Dakota to join, um, and I think 45 different countries represented. So people can join and connect with others from all over the globe. It is, you know, obviously a way for people with PD, their loved ones, care partners to connect. Um, Lance, why is it so important to meet with others that are part of this Parkinson's community? Um, and I think that everybody on this call would agree that I think one of the biggest things is a sense of community. I think, you know, not to, you know, go back to the title of this entire presentation, but ultimately letting and informing people that they're not alone. I think that sometimes, uh, People can get caught up in their heads, all, all people, uh, in and outside of the, the Parkinson's community. Um, and then what happens is, is that no one experiences the way I am experiencing. No one else is having these issues the way I'm, I'm um, experiencing these issues. And I think that the one of the biggest things, and I specifically about the PD community, is that there are alliances and there are friendships and there are lifelong relationships that are built um, and the commonality that brought anyone together was the fact that they were affected or um, had um, some type of tie back to Parkinson's. So I think primarily it, there's an empowerment that happens when people are able to identify other people that are uh, going through the same experiences. Um, sometimes people, you know, call it a uh, trauma collaboration or um, something of there's a thousand different ways to call it that. But ultimately, people who identify and share your experiences are people that you can build bonds with. And that's an important and especially with dealing with um, a lifelong um, disease such as Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And I think um, something you just touched upon um, you know, Ned said earlier that like Parkinson's doesn't define him, but there is this common thread. There's obviously this thread that weaves through everyone that is, is part of this um, community. But then, especially within the buddy network, there are ways to search for others based on hobbies or interest areas. So you can connect with others that are both, you know, that are also into 
knitting or boxing and, and connect on that level. And yes, there is the, the thread of, of Parkinson's, but you can talk about other things and, and bring other aspects of your life together. Yeah, I'll just add a, some, something we started saying, my wife and I, early on in the process as we started to meet people with Parkinson's, only good people get Parkinson's. We haven't met somebody we didn't want to have another interaction with, you know, and, and I mm -hmm. think there, there's some truth to that. It, maybe it's somewhat, those are the people that, you know, are more outgoing, whatever, but, um, you know, we, we've made some really good friends, um, that we would have never have met otherwise. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Everyone that I have met through my time working at the Fox foundation has been in, incredibly warm and inspiring and, um, all good people. Um, I guess one one last question before we turn over to um, official Q&A is regarding the Buddy Network, Ned, what advice would you give someone who's considering joining? Put yourself out there. You know, it's as simple as uh, the worst thing that can happen is you don't like it. The best thing <laughs> that can happen is it could change everything for the positive. Uh, you know, think about what you want out of it. You can alter your profile anytime. Uh, you know, if you're a young onset and you want to meet other young onset people, that's a great way to do it. Talking to people about exercise, just put that in there and, and, you know, join the forum on exercise. Um, there's a lot of flexibility. Awesome. One other thing, um, that might be kind of interesting to people. Um, so that it, I think that the buddy network sort of fits into this sort of new kind of, uh, concept of what we call social prescribing, which is sort of literally that we're taking social um, support and prescribing it to our patients um, through, you know, either it could be a person like a social worker that links that person to another organization or, you know, um, a support group like this. And so I think it's really kind of an exciting new um, wave of the future. And I think um, we have it, you know, in our midst. And I know at the VA, we have a similar kind of system where we're trying to pair people with like, like interests um, really through this sort of sleep people kind of connect. And I think it's a really a beautiful thing um, to use technology in this way to really, um, you know, prescribe this intervention, which I think is, is a basic human nutrient. So I think if for, for patients out there, for people out there that are living, um, you know, we talk about food and shelter and water and sleep, you know, as basic human nutrients, exercise maybe as well. I think social connection is a basic human nutrient. And so when you're feeling lonely, you're not alone. It's very a normal thing to feel that to sort of crave human connection. And so I think getting out of your comfort zone and, and using um, something like this uh, is kind of a beautiful way to connect. And I think um, you also told me that, um, you know, you've connected people even in their own backyards almost through this sort of network, right? Is that you were able to connect people geographically um, to other people that were in their community that they may never have met. So. Yeah. And, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, there is a way to search within the network um, in a map view. So you can search people based on where they're located. And I've now heard multiple stories at this point um, of people that have connected with folks that live like the next town over or a two minute drive away. And so people that they would have never met otherwise. So while as while it's an online network, there's still that opportunity to then, you know, meet people in person and as things open up a little bit more, um, hopefully more people will be able to, to meet through the network and then become friends in real life. Um, I thank you all so much. I, I'd love to transition over to Q&A. We have been getting some great questions that have been, been coming in already. I'm gonna start with a question for Lance that came in. 
how do I find a local social worker and support group? Great question, um, especially if you are not in a uh, heavy area that has uh, a lot of academic medical institutions. You have to get a little creative. Um, I've gotten this question a few times. Um, I typically tell people uh, one of the things you can do is contact your insurance. A lot of people are not aware that there are typically care coordinators and social workers um, at the insurance company that can kind of navigate you to um, some additional resources, um, as well as um, finding those local institutions. So finding those uh, Parkinson's and movement disorder centers that uh, even though it might not be you know local to you, uh, I promise that I have gotten and received all types of emails, phone calls from people that are nowhere near Philadelphia, uh, just asking and interested in connecting. And if I don't have the best answer, I can tell them what I do have access to. And um, if I don't have the answers, I probably am in contact with someone who has a better answer for them to uh, make that connection directly with them. Great. This next question that came in is for Lynn. Um, how did you find your small group of women with Parkinson's? Good question. You know, it was through Michael J. Fox again, because I'm on the patient council. I found my one of the women that, that contacted me wanted to talk to another woman that was much like her, and I'm a retired nurse. And so she sought me out. She found me through the internet. And, and through that, through, we developed this woman's group. So you know, I think that, you know, the, this, the buddy network is, is fa fabulous for people who are newly diagnosed because a lot of times that's all they, that, that's where they want to start. They want to meet somebody else like themselves. So that's how I did that. Yeah. And I definitely um, think that we'll see more people connecting through the buddy network as it continues to grow. This next question is for Indu or Lance. I'll let you guys decide. Um, how do I explain to others who matter to me my husband's apathy towards my attempts for my own social life? I can take a crack at that. Um, so, I mean, I think apathy is, as I mentioned, tremendously, you know, distressing. And I think that a lot of the times, you know, when you have a family sort of circle of people and you're used to getting together for birthdays or a friend's circle and there's a dinner dinner happening and, and a person is totally withdrawn and looks bored and it's kind of embarrassing um, sometimes to the loved ones to say, hey, you know, are you not interested in this? Do you not, do you not want to be with us? And I think it's, you know, important for people to realize that, you know, as part of the Parkinson's, sometimes there's a lack of facial expression and the apathy is just part of the disease. So it's not an insult. They shouldn't take it personally. So that's number one. Number two, I think we really have to give a shout out to our caregivers out there. We realize that this year has been horrible uh, in terms of you being able to get breaks. Uh, many of our caregivers have been tirelessly alone and isolated themselves with their loved one, you know, sometimes in, you know, two, two people in a home for, you know, months and months and months and not without any other interaction. So I think that getting breaks for yourself as a caregiver is absolutely something that we, we have to um, encourage and prescribe. And I really spend time talking to my caregivers and making sure that they're getting time for themselves. So I would say that, you know, if people are giving you a hard time about your own trying to get out and get a break and socialize, I think that 
you to do that for your own well-being and wellness. Um, and that, you know, um, that they shouldn't take it personally if the other person, uh, you know, the, the person living with Parkinson's does not seem to be interacting. I still think, though, that it is important to make efforts um, every day to try to do something uh, on the calendar that you get. Because often patients with apathy will say, you know, it's hard for me to get started, but once I'm in the sort of setting, I kind of enjoy myself and it's actually great. So just make that first step to just to kind of put something on the calendar and get out the door. Once you're there, I think you'll be feeling like you're kind of more into it. Yeah. And it's a great reminder that um, we encourage you know, loved ones of people with Parkinson's and their and, and care partners to also be joining the Buddy Network and have that as an outlet to meet others and have discussions and um, and talk through some of the, the things that care partners um, and loved ones are going through as well. Um, I will throw this one over to Lance. Um, how to deal with isolation while not being able to publicly diagnose my or disclose my diagnosis at work. So uh, that is actually quite common. So first of all, kudos to you for doing what you need to do to make yourself feel safe um, in the work environment that sometimes can be a very slippery slope. Um, but I think primarily how you can, you know, make sure that you get that, uh, get it is, get, oh, I'm sorry, Ooh, can't talk today, but to do what you need to do in regards to the isolation is something that we've said multiple times on this uh, this talk today is connecting with people with things that have completely nothing to do with your diagnosis. Um, if you need uh, certain uh, ad adaptive things that need to be done, then that's fine. Uh, but I think ultimately remembering that you are a person with Parkinson's, not uh, Parkinson's um, in, in entirety. And I think that that's something that we've echoed today um, a few times. So making sure you do whatever you need to do for you to protect yourself and your well-being, but also um, not allowing that to kind of corner you uh, because you are somebody outside of your diagnosis. Definitely. Um, this next question I'm going to throw over to Ned. How to manage being embarrassed about your diagnosis and how can you gain confidence in going out with Parkinson's? Great question. And I live that. Um, I was terrified of letting anybody know. It, it relates a little bit to the question about work as well. Um, what I found really worked well for me is take baby steps. You know, I went to a support group, safe zone. You know, I met some people there. I could talk about having Parkinson's and kind of get over that in a friendly environment. You could go to an exercise class, a rock steady class, whatever, and, you know, make it very clear. I'm not public with my diagnosis and you've got built in people that are there to protect you because most of them went through the same thing. Um, you know, it, you don't have to go rip the bandaid off and make a public post on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever and say, I'm here and I've got Parkinson's. You, you can take small steps. And as you gain more confidence and you get positive reinforcement from people, it gets easier and easier the more people you tell. I love that. Take those small steps. There are small steps that we could take every day. And I will end with that question. I want to thank you all for being a part of our community and joining us today. A huge special thanks to our panelists for sharing both your time and expertise. We hope that you found it helpful. Please mark your calendar for our next webinar on June 17th. Stay safe and stay connected. 
Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.